0: Turn in again to 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. Uh, it would be very useful if you had your Bible open here this evening, as I want to refer to this passage, but especially to 1 Corinthians 10 and verses 11 and 12. <coughs> now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that think if he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Our subject tonight is history. History. And we're going to be thinking about history here this evening. It's often said that uh, what we learn from history is that we never learn from history. If you come across that phrase uh, before, uh, you'll understand what I mean. Well, it's to do with the fact that we've got many history books, We look back into the past. We've got a history teacher here tonight and history students and uh, we look in the past and we see that there are many things that we might learn from. There are many things that uh, have happened in society, in nations, down the rolling centuries and uh, you might think, well, we could learn from that but it just seems that we never seem to learn from it no matter how much history we know. But do we know why that is so. It may be that most people do not want to learn from the past. They're just not interested in that. Life's hard enough, isn't it, at the moment to uh, try and remember some history and try and remember some lessons from it, let alone uh, really study it and come to some firm conclusions about how we might live our lives and uh, uh, our nations might uh, act in today's society. I wonder if you've ever given a thought to some past event and said, we shouldn't do that again. (laughs) Or maybe even, on rare occasions, we thought of something that happened in the past and we think to ourselves, maybe we should try it that way again. It seemed to work. But you see, that sort of thinking doesn't go on very often. One of the problems that we have in looking at history in this way is this there's been a great conspiracy to keep anything to do with biblical Christianity out of the history books that are popularly read or used in places of education. By way of example, and I think this is one of the great examples of this, one of the greatest and the most dramatic changes that ever came over Britain was in the 18th century. There were two countries, Britain and France, which were in many respects similar, both with societies where the gulf between the rich and the poor was ever widening. Well, we hear that today, don't we? Both were on the verge of revolution. Both were on the edge of almost total disintegration into anarchy. France, as you know, actually went over the brink, and that is recorded well in the history books, The French Revolution with all its horror, the guillotine, the bloodshed, the poverty, the cruelty. Terrible, a terrible time of anarchy and a terrible time of wretchedness and murder and no real rule of law, the French Revolution. Even the rise uh, of power of Napoleon after that a brief period, filling the power vacuum as it were, that didn't bring much relief to the ordinary members of uh, the French nation. But what happened in Britain? Very little is said about why there was no similar revolution. We were on the brink of it. We were on the verge of it, there's no doubt. And why socially, and in every other respect, Britain rose to become a land of schools and of hospitals, a nation that abolished the slave laws, a nation of democracy, giving every man eventually the vote, and even women in the end, Uh, a country of great scientific advance and a nation that became a leader in the world in all the things that uh, are just so important. But beyond all this, a land in which there were vast numbers of practising Christians. Villages where almost everyone went to church and worked hard and cared for each other. And this Christianity, you know, was no hypocritical outward show. No, it was a life lived because of a real Christian experience and devotion to God and his word, the Bible. Well, how did that happen? Well, you may know, but there was a man called George Whitfield, a clergyman in the Church of England. He began to preach the old truths of the Bible, that we need to be born again, that we need to be converted to God by a real experience of repentance from sin and faith in Christ's atoning work upon Calvary's cross. So passionate and sincere was he that even the dead Church of England of that day in which he was ordained wouldn't allow him to use their pulpits and their buildings and this made him preach to people in the open air. Shortly, thousands, literally thousands, came to hear him we hear of occasions when there were 10,000 people listening to him preach these old truths. And over a period of some years, vast numbers of people were totally changed. Vast numbers of totally irreligious people. People who were just in the gutter in all the way they lived their lives. They came to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Their lives were completely changed. And the numbers Well, it was vast. It ran into many, many thousands all over the country. And it was this movement, sometimes called the Methodist Revival, that so changed society here in Britain that a revolution was averted and things in Britain changed beyond all recognition. Whitfield was soon joined by John Wesley, who also preached to vast crowds with the same effect. But who would record in the record books, in the history books, that it was the preaching of the gospel that had had such an amazing effect in our land, saving it from revolution? So I'll just make the point that it's not not only abundantly clear that we never really learn the lessons of history, but also that you can be dead sure that anything that attributes history to God... His working, his control, his plan, his word is instantly dismissed by so many, by those who have no interest in having the living God of the Bible anywhere on the horizon of their thinking. Of course, any philosophy of history without the thought of God being in control leads only really to despair. When you think of the wars and the things that some nations have done If you don't think that God is in control of all those things, well, you just give up and despair. This really brings about suicidal views and a hopeless and helpless condition of men. But a view, a Bible view, a view that God is in complete control and will end this world as he sees fit and that he watches over his own is our only hope that leaves us with the only rational interpretation of world history. Now, of course, I'm not silly enough to think that if I talk of history and uh, uh, that you will immediately take interest to many, it's a great turn-off. It was at school for many of us. uh, But I love history, and I know there's some here that love history. But I can well understand if you say, well, I can't stand it. I can't stand thinking about all what happened in the past. Well, fair enough, fair enough. But then, you know, there's history and history... I kind of think that if you were interested in someone or something, that that interest would be more than passing, maybe, and you might be passionately interested in finding out about that person or about that thing, its background, its origin, its family, its roots. Or perhaps like a doctor trying to find out what's wrong with someone. He digs into the past. Sorry to ask you this, the the doctor will say, but... What did your father and your mother die of? Oh, they both had bad hearts. And ah, oh, okay. And the, the doctor will dig into your past. Have you been a heavy smoker? How much do you drink? How long has that been going on? What illnesses have you had? And he will come up with a diagnostic history. Well, even if you're not interested in history, you can surely see that that is so important. Well, what about the Bible? There's a lot of history in it. Perhaps just the sort of history that you're not interested in. But let's ask ourselves a question about the Bible. You know that we go on about the Bible being God's revelation. God revealing things that are so important. Things that we need to know. Revealing the things concerning our origins of the universe and concerning things that we can't know about, about the end of the world, and what happens to us when we die. Well, of course, uh, this is God's revelation, (laughs) revelation. And, of course, it reveals his way of salvation. So many glorious things in the Bible. The Bible is a revelation, not just the last book. All of it, it reveals to us what God wants us to know. And that, if there really is anything important, then you can be sure that the Bible has something to say about it? Well, does the Bible say anything about history? And I don't mean does it tell us any history. Of course of course it does. There's lots of it. But does it say anything about history itself? Itself. What's it for? Look here, verses 11 and 12, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things happened unto them for ensamples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, let him that standeth take heed, lest he fall. (laughs) What a book we have here that God has given to us. Do you know, there's so much in just these two verses. Let me just do the English for you here a moment. Look there in verse 11. Now these things happened unto them for ensamples. The word means pattern. It means patterns. It means something exact. And I'm going to be thinking about that in a moment. These things happened in in an exact way for us to see that there's a pattern to them. And they happened, they happened for our admonition, for our learning, for our instruction, so that we might learn from these things. And they were written uh, to those on whom the end of the world are come. That's now. You see the Bible writers talk in these sort of terms and they reckon that when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth he lived his perfect life, then he died on the cross then he rose from the dead, then he ascended to heaven and then issued in the last era of this world. There's not going to be any other sort of time except when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to end this world's history. So that's the English of it if you like. Now let's just think for a while. This is what God says about history. Let me show you what amazing amount of help these few words are to us. First you see, this is talking about history. Do you see there verse 11? The things that happen to them. That's history, isn't it? The things that happened to them. That's clear enough. Any history book, well, what's it about? Well, it's what happened. Well, of course it is. And it's what happened to people. There is what's called natural history. But I don't think actually there's much history to that. God made everything as he wanted it to always be. And there it is. And so you can't go back, unless you're an evolutionist, and try and work out what the history of a thing was, of a, of a person, of what were we like years ago. Well, we don't believe in that. So natural history is a bit of a, a misnomer for, for us Bible believers. God made all things, and that was it. There isn't much history to it. We were there. But the history of man the history of this world, in this sense, since it was created. They, this is all to do with people and the things that happen to them. That is history. And it's what happened to people. But we are most interested in people and what happened to them. That's what history is all about. Things that happen to them. It's no good having just a list of people. That's no good to us. The thing is, we want to know what happened to them. What sort of societies did they live in? What sort of language did they speak? How did they get on? Were they a conquered people? Or did they go around the world conquering everybody else? Were they in a society of bloodshed? How did these nations grow in understanding? And how did they educate them? We want to know all these things. So there's a social history and there's a political history and we go into these things and we're so interested in what happened in the past. And what we're doing is we're looking at the things that happened to them through their history. Well, that's it. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes in this chapter, as he writes in all uh, the letters that he wrote, of course it is God writing, it is the Holy Spirit that writes with the Apostle Paul for these things. But here, the Apostle Paul, in a few sentences here, is giving us instances of Israel's history. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Just look at this chapter here, verse 1. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of, uh, of history, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They all went through the Red Sea in a miraculous way, in the time of Moses, and there was a great cloud that God sent to protect them. They were all baptised, as it were, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, as if they were immersed in that. There was a time when the Israelite nation went through the Red Sea. And verse 3, and they all ate the same spiritual food. God gave them for 40 years. Manna in the wilderness. Bread raining down from heaven that they collected each day. This is what happened to them. This is their history. And they all drank of the same spiritual drink. They drank from the rock. It was a picture of Christ. But you see, there were 2.5 million people in the desert. How were they going to drink? How were their beasts going to survive? Moses struck the rock. And a river came out. It wasn't a little tap that turned on. It was a mighty river that ran through the wilderness and uh, sufficed for all their thirst. And here in verse 5, but the history of these people at that time was that God wasn't very pleased with them. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Only two men that were over 20 when they left Egypt made it into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. All the others, they died. That was their history. And verse 6, all these things are our examples. That's a Paul's translation there, friends. It's the same word that we have later on, ensamples. All these things are our patterns to the intent that we shouldn't lust or desire evil things as they did. Neither be idolaters as some of those were in the wilderness. And uh, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's exactly the wording we have when they worshipped the golden calf. And Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Ah, dreadful. That's what happened to them. And neither let us commit fornication, as some of them did, and fell in one day. 23,000, that happened in the wilderness as well. And then some of them tempted God, there in verse 9, and they were destroyed of those fiery serpents. And you remember, Moses had to lift up that uh, brazen serpent on a pole. This is all their history. Paul is referring to it in these ways. And then he says in verse 11, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, for patterns, for us. They're written for our admonition, our learning, our instruction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now notice this. Notice very carefully what God says here. He does not say, that's the history and we can learn from it. He doesn't say, now all this happened to Israel, and so let's learn a lesson or two. No. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for patterns, and they were written for our learning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. This is amazing. What we are told here is that history has all been planned by God meticulously that what happened to those people in history was not just interesting and that we can learn a few lessons from, but that God actually superintended everything that happened to them so that it might be an exact pattern for us to learn from. In other words, you look at the history of the Israelites and you don't just say, well, that's interesting, perhaps we should learn from that, but you look at the history of the Israelites, and you say, God planned all that so that we might know just exactly where we stand with Him and how He will deal with us, so that we will never be in the dark about what God thinks and what God feels and what God wants and how He will act. That word ensample means it's all exact, it's not just close. It's not just like, not even an example. It's not even giving us an idea. No, it's exactly the way things are. Exactly the way it is. Just precisely how things will work out. There is just no other possible way of things working out. Only just the same way as they always have. There, way back in history. Do you see why this is so important? And look here. It's written. Do you see that in verse 11? It's written. Well, that's history, isn't it? History has to be written. History that's not written is just a mystery. It's unknown and unknowable. You can have a sort of short-term history in one's lifetime, our own life's history, uh, that can still be told by word of mouth. But anything longer than that, well, it must be written. Of course, it must be written history. That's why we have a book. That's why God has given us the Bible. Why do people go on so about the very idea of a holy book? What else could there be? But of course, it's not just written for the sake of it. If all that happened was for us to learn exact lessons, then for the lesson to be learned, the history had to be available. It had to be recorded accurately. It had to be written in a standard work, unalterable. That's what the Bible is. And look, it's for our admonition. It's for our learning. It's for our instruction. It's for our encouragement. It's for our warning. And who's it for? Those upon whom the ends of the world are come. Us! (laughs) Oh, friends, the Bible is so useful. Okay, you say. But where's all this leading? When are you going to start getting personal like you always do? Well, look here in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that standeth take heed, lest he fall. All these incidences here, just a a smattering, as it were, of Israel's history. The Lord says all these things, and then he says, be careful. Watch out. Watch out. Especially if you think you're okay. Especially if you think you're standing. Because you need to understand that you might fall, a great fall. You see, this is all uh, saying that, oh, well, maybe we should learn a few things from history and uh, maybe we never learn from history, but uh, that may be well true of any history that man may have written and we can shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter, I can't do anything about it. But God says, watch out. He says, be careful. He says, take warning!" God says, listen, very carefully. Not only have I recorded all these things so that you can be saved from a tremendous fall, a fall that you will never recover from, not only that, but God says, I actually planned it all in meticulous detail. Exactly what would happen so that you might take warning and be saved. Well, we say... I haven't got time, I haven't even got the intellect to go searching into Israel's history to see what I must do. Well, I sympathise with that. But you see, nothing could be simpler. Nothing could be easier. In fact, as I look around here, I know you already have enough knowledge of this history to know full well what's what. But you see, nothing could be easier as we look at the history lessons let me give you a simple history lesson forgive me for sounding so condescending but these things must be understood and uh, it is so straightforward don't you know don't you know that there was a man called Abraham living in Ur of the Chaldees later Babylonia he was living in an idolatrous city a city of sophistication a city that had no regard for God and he was called he was called of God to follow God. And he came out of that city with his family and God blessed him. God blessed him in such a way and granted him faith. And he believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God and he became the father of all the faithful. Why did God do that? So that we might know that if God were to call us and we were to answer that call and be obedient and follow him Oh, friends, the blessing that would follow in our lives and in eternity would be tremendous. That's what we learn. Friends, don't you know that the Sodomites shook their fist at God, had no care for him, sacrificed their children, lived in ways that we could never repeat here tonight? Those men of Sodom and Gomorrah, they shook their fist at God and he wiped them out in one day. Why did God do that? Don't you know that we should be careful how we treat the Lord God and how we react to his word? Don't you know that the children of Israel were going to starve to death? But God got one of them to Egypt, Joseph. And even though all his brothers were guilty of hating him and selling him as a slave, yet God's love was such that he saved them all, all their families and Jacob. Why did God do that? because that's just exactly how God acts, in grace and mercy towards those that hate him. He loves and cares and would save our souls. Don't you know? This is such a simple history lesson, friends. Don't you know the people of Israel were slaves? They were beaten, they were doomed, they were without hope. And God sent Moses to them. And though they complained and grumbled towards God, God saved them delivered them from that slavery and brought them through the Red Sea and made them a mighty nation why did God do that can you not trust him can't, can you not trust the God that delivered the Israelites from such bondage and such slavery can't you trust him to deliver you from your sin and bondage of sin don't you know God took the whole nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt to the land of Canaan a land flowing with milk and honey a place that was so different in contrast to what they had experienced there in Egypt. Why did he do that? So that we might know that he can take us from earth to glorious heaven, to live with him for all eternity. Don't you know that God set David and Solomon on the throne of Israel and brought great deliverance and peace and joy and safety? Why did God do that? So that we might know that the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, also can bring to our lives safety and peace and glorious uh, feelings towards our God and worship. Can't you believe that? That's what we learn from these lessons of history. Don't you know that the centre of Israel's worship was a priest who sacrificed an animal and offered it to God to pay for sin that the people might be forgiven who were truly sorry? Why did God do that? Why did God arrange for that in Israel's history so that we might see that there is a wonderful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And if we believe and trust in him, he'll forgive us all our sin and bring us to glory. Don't you know that Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Job and David and Solomon and Hezekiah And Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, all of them, they weren't interested in this world and they trusted God to forgive them and God blessed them and took them all to his heaven. And Cain and Pharaoh and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah and King Saul and Ahab and Jezebel and Ahaz and Zedekiah and Belshazzar and Haman and Herod the Great, they all hated God. And God swept them all into hell. Why did God do that? Surely the lesson is so easy. This is ABC, isn't it, friends? As we think of it tonight, we just think of one last bit of history. We read of it there in the Gospel of John this evening. Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this world, the Son of God, made flesh, dwelling amongst us, living the life we could never live, and then dying on that cross of Calvary. This is history, friends. This all happened. This isn't a figment of our imagination. This is the thing that changed the world and has changed thousands and thousands of lives ever since the Lord Jesus Christ dying in agony in the place of people like us, men and women, youngsters. Oh, friends, there he was, dying so that we might be set free from our sin, taken from the clutches of Satan and hell and given everlasting life, and brought to glorious heaven. Why did he do that? Well, to show his love and his grace, and show how he can save. Nor even there on the cross, the history of it, you remember the dying thief, how even at the last moment he repented of his sin, and asked the Lord to remember him. And the Saviour said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, friends, it's exactly the same. The pattern is there. And it will happen again if we will come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, will God say to you on that great day of judgment, why did you never learn from history? I planned it. I arranged it. All the details, all the history lessons, all the this is definitely how it will be. And I had it written down in the Bible. All for you. Verse 12, therefore... Let him that think if he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's nothing complicated about the history of the Bible and what it's for, it's for us. It's for us. If we don't learn these simplest of lessons, well, there will be no excuse for us on that day. But surely, surely we can learn from these things and we can put our trust in the God of the Bible and in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us and take us safely to the glory. Come, come. That's what all Bible history teaches us, that God is a merciful God that saves and converts all those that come to him sincerely and take his word seriously. What a history we have here, friends. Believe it, see it, learn from it. Come and trust in the Saviour. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, oh Lord, we bless you once again for all that thou hast taught us out of thy word. And now, Lord, as we've learned these simple lessons again tonight, may we learn them in our hearts and trust in the Saviour and know his converting power. We ask it for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Let's sing together hymn number 389. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. 389. Thank you.